And I started on the, the supplements that Evan and Maddie recommended for me. And I'm a skeptic. I, I 100% trusted Evan and Maddie. I had seen the results with them and with people that Evan had talked about. I just didn't think that it would work for me. So there's no placebo effect here. That's, that's why I'm mentioning it. Yeah, that. definitely not with Lucas. I'll test to that. Yeah. <laughs> there was no placebo effect. Um, and within, within about five days, I was like, man, I'm, I'm starting to feel better. And it was noticeable. And within 10 days, I had felt better than I had since I was 15 years old before any of this had started. I mean, I had energy. I had hope. I, I could sleep. I could focus. Hello and welcome to the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. We bring you interviews from people who have conquered the trickiest of health challenges using the functional diagnostic nutrition philosophy and similar healing modalities. You're going to hear from experts who have been through the ringer with their health issues and yet managed to come out on the other side. If you're interested in natural healing and or functional medicine, congrats, you are in the right place. You can always visit us at functionaldiagnosticnutrition.com. But for now, here is today's episode. What is going on, my friends? And welcome back to another episode of the Health Detective Podcast by Functional Diagnostic Nutrition. My name is Evan Transu, aka Detective Ev, and I will be your host for today's show. Well, this is probably and hopefully my final wisdom tooth update. As you can hear, I'm sounding a lot better, feeling pretty good. And this is an important lesson for people out there that I'll keep really short, but it's just something to advocate for yourself with. We are not against Western medicine. Just in case this is your first time listening to the show, we're not against Western medicine. However, when I got these three wisdom tooth uh, teeth removed recently, I was told I needed antibiotics. I was actually told on two separate occasions I needed antibiotics. All I did, I didn't say no. I didn't say I'm never taking them. I said, are there any other options? Is there any possibility that I don't need to take this and I can do something else? Both times, the answer was yes. And so I didn't end up needing antibiotics with this surgery. And you say, well, it's a course of antibiotics. Who cares? Well, for those of us in the functional space, we know, first of all, what this can do to you sometimes when you've uh, taken these before. And for myself, who has taken 20 courses of these, over 20, throughout my life, I don't want to mess with these things anymore. I feel depressed, typically, for anywhere from six months to a year after taking them, which is terrible. My skin erupts, and I already knew I was going to have some minor skin issues with the surgery itself and all the other things that was coming with the ibuprofen I'd have to take. Because of this, the last thing I wanted to do was add on antibiotics to all of this, and it turns out there was alternative options. If you're not living in a healthy state, like an FDN would, (laughs) this might not work for you so well. And if you are still actively dealing with a lot of symptoms. This might not work as well for you. But I'm just saying, ask. Advocate for yourself. See if it's okay. Because I wasn't going to do something that the doctor said to not do. But both times, they were actually quite open to this. And once I told them my story about having been on all these courses and what it did to me, they said, okay, yeah, no problem. If you feel like you're getting sick or you feel like the pain's getting worse at all, please take them. But if this stays the same or gets a little better over the next several days, feel free to do what you got to do. That's awesome. And it worked out really well. So again, I the 
one final tooth is healing, so it's taking a little longer than it probably would have without the antibiotics, to be clear. But the pros outweigh the cons for me, and I think this is going to be just fine overall. With that said, again, my final update for the wisdom tooth thing. We're not here to discuss that today. What we are here to discuss is the story of my friend Lucas. Really cool, and you'll hear most of this in the podcast. It was a longer one. I won't go too deep into the intro today, but I met Lucas through a organization we were both speaking for at one point for mental health issues. He had been through a lot of stuff himself, and so through this organization, we spoke primarily to kids. Uh, Sometimes we were speaking to adults as well, and basically, you're just sharing your story and encouraging people to get help. You're encouraging people that it is okay to deal with these types of problems, and you're not weird or crazy or anything like that for going through these things. I met Lucas in this program, and Lucas and I relate a lot. Because our stories kind of start out similarly in that we both grew up in a very similar area, and we both felt, perceived at least, that we had decent lives, and yet we dealt with these mental health symptoms. Because of this, there was a lot of rejection of ourselves around these symptoms and these feelings, invalidation. But Lucas was interesting because when I noticed this, I'm like, well, wait a second, I believe I can help this guy then. Not because I'm so great, but just because of the stuff that I know with FDN and and holistic health. And I wouldn't say that about everyone in the organization. Some people had been through severe trauma and abuse. I'm not going to sit there and say, oh yeah, eat well and take some lab tests and everything's going to be fine. That's, That's insulting. That's an incomplete form of treatment for those types of individuals. But then again, what about people like Lucas and I? There's got to be some cause to this stuff. And so if he's dealing with this and he had a good life as proclaimed by him, there's got to be something else. Unfortunately, it took almost five years for this guy finally to run some labs with us. And we started out on super basic stuff. We've only gone through metabolic typing and the MRT right now. But the results that this guy got from this is amazing. What we will do today is we will talk about that, but Lucas, again, has spoken professionally. He's a very good storyteller and has a powerful message for anyone out there, especially young men. This would be a good podcast probably to share with some young men in your life or just men in general, I suppose. You guys are going to love this one. It's heartfelt. There's a lot to this. There's some pretty serious parts. We're going to guide you through the story, and then at the end, we're going to talk about the results he's been getting lately with trying the more natural thing. It shows you guys there's never too late. It's very inspiring for people that have tried a lot of things and haven't had success. It's just everything you'd want it to be in a podcast. So I appreciate Lucas so much for coming on. He has nothing really to offer you guys. He does have a book, but I told him to mention that. He didn't even want to mention that originally. And uh, he has nothing for sale. He's not a coach. He's an engineer. He's just a guy that wants to tell people that this exists because he's suffered for so many years dealing with these things. Without further ado, let's get to today's episode. All right. Hello there, Lucas. Welcome to the Health Detective Podcast. How are you, my friend? I'm good, Evan. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is exciting. I would have already had said this in the intro to the audience and stuff, but they know over whatever this is, 200 something episodes now, I do bring on occasionally people that I know personally, but I try not to prioritize that unless it's very legitimate, right? I never want to be one of those people that just brings on people because I know them. Um, I like to bring them on because they have real stories and real things to share with people. And what's cool about this episode today is you guys know we typically are story-based. So we'll start off with the journey that someone went through, and then we might spend half of the time talking about the resolution with the natural stuff. But the reason I invited Lucas on is not necessarily because 
everything's perfect or 100% figured out or he's been doing the health thing for 10 years in the way that we do the health thing, that is. Um, certainly not to suggest that there's been a lack of effort over the last 10 years or definitely has. Um, but Lucas is interesting because when I first met him through well, I won't say what we met through. Uh, not that it's bad, but we can't mention the organization outside of this. But uh, five, six years ago, we met. And when I first heard his story about mental health, I'm lighting up in my brain. I'm like, oh my gosh, this dude's like so similar to me. And it's probably going to be impacted positively by a lot of the stuff that I learned. But for those listening, you know how hard it is to talk about these things, really, if people haven't heard of this stuff. And Lucas is a smart guy. I mean, he's an engineer. But if you haven't heard this alternative type of stuff, um, it can sound a little crazy. So we'll get into that later and what um, you've been experiencing recently, because I just think it's awesome, man. And I'm glad that you gave it a try. But I'm more interested in the story, and we'll focus on that a lot today. Lucas has spoken professionally for years. Um, He's got a wonderful book, and we'll shout that out at the end as well. But for now, we'll just, again, dive into what he dealt with. So, Lucas, if we can, let's um, let's just start from kind of the beginning with stuff, whether that's childhood, teenage years, whatever you want to call it. Uh, What was life like right before the mental health issues? Like, what had life like been up to that? And then what started happening symptom-wise that led you to realize, hey, maybe something's a little off here? Because it started a little bit later in life for you. Yeah, yeah, it did. You know, some people have stories where, um, you know, they recognize it as as early as, as childhood. Um, and by childhood, I mean, like, you know, seven, eight years old, something like that. Um, <clears throat> but for me, I, I didn't notice it until I was about 16. Um, and everything before that, honestly... Um, you know, it was pretty easy. You know, I, I dealt with, uh, you know, I would say the, the, the hardest thing in my life was, you know, sort of the casual, normal bullying that everyone goes through, but it, it really wasn't anything special. Um, but other than that, I mean, my life was, it was, it was a very happy life. Uh, I came from, you know, two parent family. I'm, I'm a twin brother. Um, I have a younger brother, Gabriel with, uh, special needs and, uh, we've always been close. Uh, my family was was pretty well off, so I don't really remember ever ever wanting for anything or or ever feeling like I missed out on anything. Um, I always knew that my parents loved me. Uh, you know, I, I went through um, my times, you know, not being the biggest fan of them, like every kid does. Uh, but I, I never doubted for a second that they loved me. So um, my life was really good. It was really comfortable, um, and it was just it was easy to, to, to be honest with you, which is one of the things. And, and, and the reason I say it like that is because that was one of the things that really made uh, the depression so difficult for me, because as, as I've said, I just, I didn't think that I earned the right to be depressed. Um, so when I started to experience those kind of symptoms, when I was 16, you know, I, I was about a junior in high school I, I really just, I didn't understand what was going on. I had no idea what was happening to me. And I had no idea how to talk to anybody about it um, or even what to say uh, because my life was so good. I just, I was like, who, who is going to believe me, right? I, I'm, I'm crazy. Um, and that's, that's really what I thought. And this is where that when the first time I heard that, I was like, whoa, overlap here. Because, yeah, I, I like that you specified why you were saying it that way, because the stereotypical image of someone still to this day in society that deals with mental health type stuff is someone who has had a circumstance or series of circumstances occur in their life that would lead to something like mental health issues. But then there, there are actually a lot of people I would 
wager millions like me and you who do feel these things, but we can't clearly connect it to something else. And it, and it doesn't suggest that everything is sunshine and rainbows. I don't think either of us are saying that, but um, even your book titled My Perfect Life, How Depression Almost Ended It and How You Found Purpose Through Pain. I, I always love that because it's this idea of, okay, my life is good. I don't think this is justified for the feelings that I'm getting. And it's not that you were even because some people will take it to the next step and be like, oh, well, maybe they were repressing the things that happened to them. And you went through all that work, man. This is not a unseasoned person. Like you've been there, you've done that. And no, that wasn't it. There's something else missing. And when we deal with that, I, I've always called this, it's not clinical, but I've always referred to it as non-circumstantial mental health issues. There is a cause for it that just isn't circumstantial. There's something else, whether it's biological, um, you can look at the biochemistry, which falls into the same category, but there's something there. We live in a cause and effect world. We just got to figure out what it is. And so when you were dealing with the first symptoms at 16, what did that look like? What, what were those? Yeah. So it actually, you know, for a lot of people, the symptoms kind of build um, and from, you know, maybe uh, something, something like a very strong blue mood um, to, you know, lack of interest um, to eventually, if it became severe enough, uh, you know, suicidal ideation. Mm -hmm. um, but for me, that it, I didn't follow that typical path. It would just kind of it was like a switch flipped off and, you know, I would be perfectly fine. And then all of a sudden there would be those images of me taking my life and, you know, in my mind's eye, um, which would cause something like panic attacks. Um, and again, that just, it was so bizarre, so unknown to me. Right. And this was, I mean, when I was 16, it was 14 years ago. Right. So this, this stuff, really wasn't talked about at all. Um, and, you know, I'm not upset about that. That's just the way that it was. But I do think that if I had a little bit of education on the subject, that I would have felt more comfortable going to, you know, say my parents and, and saying like, hey, I'm, you know, I understand I have a good life, but these things are happening to me. And, and, and I think I need to do something about it. Um, but instead, I just tried to, to suppress it, um, to fight it, thought, you know, I'm a teenager, teenagers go through phases and, and, you know, nobody, nobody ever mentioned this phase, this, this suicidal thoughts phase, but I, I guess that's just what I'm going through and it'll pass and, and, and I'll be fine. Right. Um, and it was easy to convince myself of that because most of the time I really did feel good. Uh, but there was times that, 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 you know, those thoughts of suicide would come in and I noticed that I also didn't really like to be alone and quiet, um, which is something that reflecting back on, I realized was, was very much a sign of the depression. Hmm. Um, I always was trying to keep my mind active. I was keeping my body active and I really couldn't sleep much unless I had worn myself out so much during the day that I just kind of passed out when I went to bed. Um, and I just, you know, I was so used to doing that, that I saw that as normal. Um, and I now know, you know, maybe a better term for that is, is that it's not healthy uh, to be doing it that way. That's, that's not how we should be sleeping. Um, and we shouldn't have to live that way either. Right. When, and this is actually just a question. I'm not, I don't believe one way or the other right now. I'm curious though, because the way that you talk about 
the even when you finally did experience something as severe as the suicidal ideations, there is this uh, justification and, and trying to explain this away as maybe things that teenagers just deal with or face. Is it possible that you were going through some early stage symptoms before this, but it was just completely repressed? Or is it really your understanding that, hey, one day it just turned on for whatever reason? Because I can buy either. I'm just I'm curious now thinking about it from that perspective. Yeah, I mean, that's it's a great question. And honestly, when I think back on it, I just I can't see any symptoms other than when that suicidal ideation started um, and and the sort of keeping myself busy. Um, But I was always hyper energetic um, when I was younger. So, you know, some of that was just being, uh, you know, super energy ball kid. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, some of it was the depression. And it's very hard to see where that line was when you're 16 and, and you got no idea what's going on. Right. Okay. Fair enough. Then, did you have any? Because we've definitely never talked about this. Do you? Did you have any physical stuff as a kid that would be looked at as society by normal? But we've we followed each other long enough that you know what my opinion is on this. Like even the headaches, even the stomach aches, I don't look at that as normal at all. Really, especially if it's happening regularly. Did you have any physical stuff as a kid that might have just been underplayed? Well, I do actually. I do laugh about that now because I've seen so much of your of your work and your posts. Um, I had acne. Uh, It wasn't severe, severe, but it was pretty bad. Um, And I also had, I mean, I had the most severe eczema of anyone that I've seen in person. Um, It used to be so bad that, you know, I would bleed through it. Um, And uh, (laughs) the doctors, when I was in fifth grade, they thought that I had a flesh eating disease. That's how bad it was. Wow. Yeah. We've never talked about um, that. <laughs> no, no, we haven't. We haven't talked about that. Um, but it, from seeing some of your posts talking about, you know, skin uh, reactions and, and really how that's a sign that something's off in the body. I, I've thought of that myself. I'm like, ah, oh, geez, I wonder if there was something going on all the way back then. Um, and, you know, I just, you know, I, I didn't know. And, and that's not how the doctors are really trained and you know, it just got missed. Yeah, definitely not trained that way. And yeah. um, it is actually fascinating to me because the reason I went with the physical side, I'm like, all right, anything's possible in medicine and health. But it is, we both know it's rare to jump to that like level of depression or level of anxiety even. And then I'm like, all right, there, there's probably something else warning us here. And of course, who on earth except very specific types of people that are interested in this functional side would ever even connect something like severe eczema and acne with in fifth grade the eczema with depression symptoms that you're dealing with at 16. But in my professional experience, I would look at that as saying, like, I would never be able to predict that that would lead to depression specifically, to be clear. I'm not saying that. But when you connect the dots looking back, I would bet everything to my name that those are not disconnected. Right, the same things that were perhaps leading to those symptoms in fifth grade were actually just the first little trickles going into the mental health stuff later. I mean, for myself, it was a 13 year experience before I really got to the diagnoses that were that were starting to really scare me, stuff that I was told was incurable or I'd need surgery for or whatever. It was 13 years of dealing with stuff before we ever got to that. Now, is everyone going to be that drawn out? No. Uh, I've had plenty of people on the show that it's not the case for them, but there's usually something that's going on before we get to the major stuff. So that's interesting. It's just something, it's a lesson for everyone. Don't 
we always say, don't look at any symptom as normal because by definition, it's not. And is everyone that has eczema going to get depression or suicidal ideations? No, that's ridiculous. But it's a warning sign from the body letting you know, hey, something's pissing me off right now. So we either fix this now or you give me enough time and it's going to manifest as something else probably. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's, that's a very interesting way to look at it. And that's why I say, you know, I kind of laugh a little bit now um, because it's, it's nothing that I would have thought of either. Uh, but when you take sort of the holistic view and, you know, you're looking backwards, it makes a little bit more sense. Sure. Um, which is great knowledge to have in your back pocket going forward. Absolutely. Yeah, only like 15, 20 years too late. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, cool. So when you were starting to develop this identity almost of, not an identity, but accepting these symptoms as part of your identity, just, oh, as a teenager, this is something that people just deal with. I know that there was a breaking point. Of course, I know your story, but let's talk about between 16 when these suicidal ideations start and that breaking point that occurred, I believe, in college, if I remember correctly. Yeah. How is this going over time? Is it getting worse or is it just kind of this thing that's lingering in the background? So, I mean, it definitely was a slow burn, right? Um, You know, it started when I was 16 and, and the breaking point occurred when I was 22. So it was a slow burn. And it it consistently got worse, but it didn't get worse every day, right? So sometimes I was fine and I I didn't have these these awful thoughts. Um, I didn't have nightmares. I didn't have trouble eating. I didn't have trouble sleeping. Um, There would be things in the back of my mind that seemed to me to be not quite right. Um, one of the ones that I noticed in my freshman year when I was, uh, you know, trying to decide a major and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to pick, um, I, I entered uh, Penn State undecided. Uh, I, I just, I could not see a future for myself. Everything was just black. And what really terrified me about it, and I, I, I stopped taking time to think about my future, is I understood that that part of me believed I wasn't going to live very long. Um, and that's why I couldn't see my future. And it was, that was such a terrifying prospect that I couldn't even, I couldn't even deal with it. Right. I couldn't tell anybody about that. I couldn't deal with it myself. Couldn't confront it. Uh, and I just put it in the back of my mind and just chugged along. Um, Mm. and, and, and that was what I thought was the right thing to do. Right. I'm, uh, there was there was certainly some ego involved. I, I don't pretend that I had no ego. Um, I was a bit of an egomaniac, so there was certainly some ego involved. I can't pi- that's interesting. Uh, I can't picture you like that. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I really that it's a compliment. I I've never perceived you like that at all. So something worked. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it you know I was younger, um, and and that's just the way that I used to used to be. But I, I also really did believe that this was the right thing. I was like, I have this good life. I can't throw it away. Um, and, and that was also really when sort of the, the a little bit of victim mentality seemed to be kind of becoming culturally mainstream. And, and it just didn't sit well with me. Um, and I didn't want to be part of that. And I thought that some of what was going on in my head was maybe some part of me trying to, to, to get attention um, through this sort of victim mentality. And, and so, like I said, I, I really believe that I was doing the right thing, just sort of 
pushing that off to the side, fighting it and moving forward. Um, and obviously I, I learned otherwise. Right. Well, yeah, you're just kind of rejecting yourself at, at all angles there. When you're in college, because I mean, 22, so you're, you're in a few years or four years into college, you're obviously getting educated. Penn State, for those that somehow don't know, is Penn, uh, it's in Pennsylvania, and <laughs> it's a great place. A lot of people go there, especially from the area that Lucas and I live in. I mean, I think they have like 50,000 students just on the main campus some years, let alone all the other uh, satellite campuses that they have. So very popular school, very good school. But my point is, you're getting educated. Are you... Even if you don't think it's valid, are you connecting yet the idea that, hey, this is a mental health thing? This is a depression thing? Or is this still just, oh, feelings that I have? I, I had no concept <laughs> that this might be a mental health issue. Zero. Um, it, it was entirely foreign to me, entirely, that somebody with a good life could struggle with their mental health. And I was such a laid back easygoing, you know, fun guy that, that the thought of me being depressed or, or anxious, yeah, I, I mean, it was, it was diametrically opposed to, uh, you know, my character. Um, and so it didn't even enter the realm of possibility, which was why the easier explanation was, I, you know, I'm crazy. And I certainly don't want to tell anybody that I'm crazy. I mean, I really did have a, a very real fear that if I tried to tell my parents or if I tried to tell anyone uh, at all that I was going to be locked away in a mental institution because I was a nutcase. Um, okay. And nobody wants that to happen. I didn't want that to happen. So I just kept hoping that these feelings would go away. I, I get you, man. You already know this part of my story. The, crazy is the word that I used, especially with the panic mm -hmm. attacks, because panic attacks to me, from I could be fine one minute, and then for 20 minutes, I convinced myself for like the hundredth time that I'm going to die, 100% believe it, even though I've been through this, again, a bunch of other times. And then afterwards, I'm fine. I'm tired, but I'm fine. That to me was the definition of crazy. I mean, how could one second I believe that I'm going to die. And then the next second I'm totally fine and realize, Oh yeah, you dealt with this a bunch of other times. Remember those and nothing ever happened and you were totally fine afterwards. That seems crazy to me, at least at the time that was the perspective. So it, it's interesting. You, you touched on a few things that I want to just review for people before we kind of move on to the to breaking point and when things, you know, got worse, but then eventually of course got better, which is awesome. And one is this idea of what, was actually going on in terms of the conversation around this 15 years ago, 20 years ago. I think we forget that pretty rapidly, like even the adults in our lives. Like now it seems like we talk about mental health all the time. But I remember mm -hmm. being in school. I mean, you're 30, I'm 27. When I was in school, I think I had like a suicide speaker in high school one time, like very focused just on suicide, you know, and then everything else. I don't remember anything about that. No one came in and talked about anxiety. No one came in and talked about the other 20 symptoms of depression that there can be yeah. outside of suicidal ideation, uh, let alone the 100 plus mental health issues that we know of that are out there. No one talked about any of that stuff. And if no one was talking to us, certainly no one was talking to our parents unless they happened to choose that career path. So our, our parents, all great people, God bless them. But my parents didn't know anything about it mental health. They didn't have any concept of this either. So that's one thing to recognize. And two, you mentioned uh, two very specific things that I think challenged even the narrative of what depression could be. So it's just worth revisiting really quick. You talked about how you weren't eating 
Uh, you said that pretty quick, but you said that you weren't eating sometimes, like having trouble with the appetite. And then you also mentioned something that in many people's minds would seem like the opposite of what depression is. But I, I mean, if you're trained in this stuff, you know, it can present in different ways. You talked about how you actually couldn't be alone when you were depressed, where the the movie image of this is someone who only wants to be alone and doesn't want to be around other people. So it just goes to show, I mean, depression can manifest really differently for different people. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was, it was like a medicine for me. Um, being social, being around people, uh, making myself the the life of a party in a way. Uh, if I did that, I didn't have time to think about the, the the depression. I didn't have time to think about the the dark feelings that were progressively getting worse and seemed to be haunting me more and more often. Um, and it it was uh you know it was an escape and it was a healthy escape and and it was interesting because again I knew that I was doing that um, in the same way that I absolutely knew I couldn't do drugs in college. Um, I just knew it. I, I knew that if I started on drugs, I was done for. Mm-hmm. And I, I think the absolute certainty with which I knew that I, led me to believe like, I know something isn't right with me, but I, I still don't know how to talk about it. And so, you know, I, I mean, that just kind of worked out, right? Cause I don't recommend anybody does drugs. Um, so <laughs> I had a very good reason to to stay away from them um, because I was just, I was so certain that would be the end of me if I did that. Um, yeah. But that was a, that was a real sign. Right. So even that, I mean, kind of challenges it because I, I chose substances with this stuff and so do many people and you're like, no, I shouldn't do this. So just guys, keep an eye out. Don't, we're better at this, I think, in the functional space, thankfully, but still, we don't want to have stereotypes necessarily of what this stuff can look like. It it can look a variety of different ways for different people, especially between male and female. Uh, depression can look a lot different. So I want to talk about the kind of the big moment for you here, because this is something that I think, especially for people who speak, seems to be universal, where there is like a profound moment where life is like this up to here, and then it is completely different afterwards. And mm-hmm. whether it's good or bad in the moment, it exists and it's a profound moment. So what was that for you that led to actually recognizing this stuff or, or getting help at the very least and then recognizing this stuff? Yeah. So that moment for me was in my final semester at Penn State. Um, and just a little background leading up to that. I I always believed that there was something just over the horizon that was going to fix me. Right. So when I was a teenager, it was like, oh, this is a this is a phase of adolescence. Like this will pass once I get out of being a teenager. Um, and then it was, you know, that didn't go away. And in my senior year of college, it was like, okay, I'm stressed about college. When I pick a college, I'll be fine. When that worked out, it was when I pick a major, when I picked a major, it was, well, I don't know if I can make it in this. This is a really hard major. Um, I did chemical engineering and, and I was just barely passing and even if I do graduate, I don't know if I can make it in a job. And so in my mind, it was like, okay, I, I need to be able to graduate and I need to get an internship. And if I can do those two things, then I'll be successful yeah. and, and all this fear is going to go away. And I ended up getting an internship uh, after my senior year. Um, I had one extra semester to go. So I, I did four and a half years to graduate college. So I got an internship going into that uh, summer. And I also passed 
all the rest of my difficult engineering classes. So for all intents and purposes, I had graduated. I just had a couple of easy credits that I had to tie up in that last semester. And I had that internship. Mm -hmm. And uh, the internship was off in New Mexico and things really spiraled there, especially because I was I was isolated and, and alone. And I was really already breaking down when I got there. And when I came home, I was a mess. I wasn't eating anymore. Um, I wasn't sleeping. I, I, you know, I'm six feet tall and I had dropped to under 130 pounds. That's that's how bad a shape I was in. And about five days into the final semester at Penn State, uh, you know, I hadn't eaten anything in two days. And I just, I told myself, I'm going to eat this bagel this morning and that's it. I'm going to eat it. I'm going to win whatever this thing is that's going on with me. I'm done with it. Mm -hmm. And I tried to take a bite of the bagel and my body just started to try to throw up, um, but there wasn't any food in my stomach. And every time I tried to take a bite of this bagel, I just would start gagging. Right. And, and that was it. That was just when I just, I just broke. And I realized I am either going to call somebody right now or I'm not going to make it through the day. Um, and I, I got up and I, I went out of my apartment and uh, I gave my dad a call at seven in the morning on a Wednesday at college. So, you know, he knew I wasn't calling to say, Hey, you know, how's it, how's Good it going? Morning. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, seven in the morning was, was kind of early for me still. So wow. that was the breaking point. Okay. I, you know what, man, I actually, uh, I appreciate us revisiting this because I don't know if it's just because we have a, a network of speakers, but I actually, I mixed up some story. I did not think that was what actually led to this. So this is even uh that's like, that's powerful because there's a simplicity to this, right? We're talking about eating a bagel, but there's something so obviously wrong that even you trying to, you know, protect yourself in a way from this, but rejecting the validity of it through all these years, you can't ignore this. It's like, dude, I haven't eaten in two days. I can't even eat this. Like, like something is, is clearly there. Mm -hmm. That's, it's just sad that that happened, but I'm glad that it led to something good. So when you called your dad, if I'm not mistaken, this part, I feel like I do remember this was still not necessarily connected to mental health, right? It took a few days before we realized, okay, this is still a mental health thing that's connected to all of this. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's almost embarrassing, right? Because it was so obvious, but I still had no idea what was wrong. Um, and I remember calling him and, uh, you know, I, I planned on just having a conversation and telling them, you know, I, something seems off. I, you know, I think I need some help. And, uh, you know, he answered the phone and there was, there was obviously a note of concern in his voice and the strangest thing happened, but I just, I just broke down, man. I just started crying. And I mean, that's, that's really unlike me. Um, I would not cry. I especially would not cry in front of others. Uh, probably most of all in front of my dad. Um, so the, <laughs> you know, it had to be bad for me to start doing that. And I just told him, you know, that I was sad and it didn't make any sense why I was sad. And I didn't understand why I was sad. And, you know, I explained it was more than just sadness, but I didn't know what to call it. And I uh, told him I wasn't eating. I wasn't sleeping. Um, and he didn't jump right to depression either, you know, but, uh, he, he kept a cool head 
and we talked and, and that really helped me to, to at least feel like, you know, subside the panic in that moment. Um, he helped subside the panic and I was able to calm down enough for us to be like, okay, let's just, let's just call a doctor and we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. And, and that was what he said to me. And that's what we ended up doing. So how long does it take you to get into the doctor and what does that uh, consultation session, whatever look like? Is that, is that where things got recognized? Yeah. So I, I got really fortunate with that. We, we understood at the very least that we needed to call a doctor. Um, now I hadn't been to a doctor in a long time cause I didn't College need, like- <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. So we actually ended up calling my old pediatrician and just, you know, told him what was going on, asked if he knew anyone. Uh, he was like, yeah, what's going on is definitely a mental health thing. You know, you're 22, you're living a good life, you're in college. This shouldn't be happening. Um, and that wasn't with judgment. That just was like, definitively, this is a mental health thing. Um, he knew a psychologist and I got very fortunate. Uh, the psychologist was, he had availability for me and I ended up seeing him like within a week. Um, within a week of this moment, looking back on it, I can, if I knew then what I know now, uh, I should have gone to the hospital and gotten immediate help. Um, because I, I really was not in a good place for those couple days. And, uh, I, I shouldn't have been, uh, trying to make it through that week, but, um, that's said and done with. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, we're just glad you're here. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. It's like these calls are powerful, but it doesn't necessarily fix like the eating thing right away. I mean, do you, I'm sure there's some weight off your shoulders, but I mean, what what did happen that day? Were you ever able to eat the bagel or something else? Or, I, I yeah, mean, I couldn't. I I was able to get soft foods down a little easier. Okay. So I, uh, you know, yogurt, soups, some ice cream, you know, just enough to, to scrape by. Um, then saw the psychologist and... He was able to get me some uh, emergency anti-anxiety medicine, um, and we started on the antidepressants, and and you know, and and that's that's where all this stuff is really interesting. Um, you know, I know we've had discussions about it before. I I think I really do believe that I was so far gone in that moment um, that I really needed medicine to to bring me back because I just didn't have the strength to do anything. Um, yeah. I, I needed that anti-anxiety medicine and, and I was scared to death to take this stuff. I mean, just absolutely terrified. I'm not a, I'm not a big medicine person. I, I don't like to take it. I do believe that, you know, we're equipped to heal ourselves for the most part. I think medicine is great. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it absolutely helps. So I'm in no way against it. Um, I just don't want to take it unless I, absolutely have to and in this instance i did um and the one thing that was really really great about it was i i truly believed that there was just no way back for me i kind of was going through the motions and when i took this anti-anxiety medicine and i felt true genuine relief i i knew okay this is a real thing it is in some ways chemical and what i just took brought me actual true relief and I'm, I'm not high. I'm not out of my mind. I'm not a zombie. I actually just feel normal. 
Mm-hmm. And, and it felt so good to feel that way because it had been so long since I, you know, experienced what it was to, to, to just be normal. Um, I, 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 I couldn't believe it. And, uh, when, when the medicine wore off and, and the pain and spare depression was kind of coming back, um, cause the anti-anxiety is just temporary. Uh, I had a, a little bit of hope. Um, and that, that, that really gave me the, the, the drive that I needed to, to keep fighting through this thing. Yeah. And I, and I respect this because what, what sucks about social media is, you know, it's hard to see what someone truly thinks always, or we assume that they're putting disclaimers on and stuff. I would say I rarely get pushback with the things that I share in the functional world. But uh, Lucas, one of the things I do get pushback on sometimes is I actually advocate very strongly for the validity of the mental health medication. And Mm -hmm. and people don't want to hear it, especially in my space, especially that I advocate for it for kids. They're like, you're out of your mind. I'm like, okay, well, yes, but we're, we're not playing with an autoimmune disease. Now, some autoimmune diseases are very severe. You have like MS and stuff that can kill someone. Most autoimmune diseases would not kill you so directly. It would be something that you could deal with for decades before passing away uh, if you passed away from it at all. But my, my point in mentioning that is there is a certain level of urgency when you're dealing with mental health stuff, especially in a young person, which at that age, I still consider that a young person. Mm-hmm. The brain is not fully developed. We're not thinking as far ahead as we need to think. There are very um it's not as hard as one would want to believe for one little thing to happen that leads to the story that you just talked about becoming a suicide attempt versus calling my dad or your dad and saying hey something's wrong like it is a very fine line that gets walked between that stuff and so far be it from me to ever say that someone should not use medication for this stuff especially when it worked how could i argue that so that's what i always just try to really paint the picture for with people. And hopefully this story helps them understand that a little bit deeper. Now, what we can also all agree on, especially you'd agree with this now, is we can give the person the medication, but also ask the common sense questions. Okay, Lucas Wolf is not deficient in anti-anxiety medication, nor is he deficient in an SSRI. So let's let him use this right now. This is his life jacket. It's saving him. Mm-hmm. Can we figure out and do the investigative work to see what led to this to begin with? And of course, if this was the, the perfect person for you would have been like a functional medicine doctor who could have prescribed something, but then also they would have made the connection saying like, huh, this guy had some really severe skin, uh, skin stuff too when he was younger. So you, I'm, I'm oversimplifying it, but you'd probably make the connections to the gut right away as a functional practitioner. And now you're looking a little deeper and we can work through some of that stuff while you're using the life jacket. No problem. The issue becomes when people get stuck on this stuff for 10, 20, 30 years. We had, we had a young woman on, um, she was local to us, man. She went to Council Rock South oh, wow. and she was on uh, Prozac from like nine years old to 18. And the reason she stopped is because her psychiatrist at 18, because it wasn't working for her anymore, illegally prescribed to her a dose higher than the upper end of the limit. And even for herself, she's like, this is insane. Like, I can't, I can't keep doing this. Right. And so she got into a lot of the stuff that we're uh, into on this podcast. So that's actually Courtney Hayes. She's been on uh, the show before for those wondering, she's all the way back, probably episode I'll guess 115 to 120, something in there. So just check that out. But these are these are common stories that saved her life at the time. I, well, actually, I'll, I'll ask you this first. The emergency anti-anxiety medication, I I'm, I'm, could be wrong. I'm assuming you're referring to some type of benzodiazepines, Annex, Clonopin or something. It, yeah, it was Clonopin. Okay, gotcha. So these medications in particular are... 
they're dangerous, but at the same time, it'll prove to you real fast that you have a problem or that something's going on here because that was the same thing that happened to me. Now, unfortunately, it led to abuse, but when I took Xanax, it was at a I didn't get it prescribed by a doctor, but it was at a prescribable dose. This was not me taking two milligrams of Xanax. I took 0.25. That is the lowest prescribable dose that you could get in this country. And when I took that, the issue was how good it was for me. The shoulders dropped, the pain in my neck, like stuff I never even connected. The pain in my neck went away. I'm in the shower relaxing. I'm listening to music. It sounds good. I'm focused. I'm just clear headed. And that's great. But again, for me doing it illegally, that was that was the problem because I'm like, oh, well, if this is good eight times, this must be even better. And <laughs> that's, that's not how that math works, just so you guys know um, from experience. But this stuff does work. And I'm glad that it actually helped you validate this experience because I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it sounds like this is what you meant. So you're saying when you took that medication and it worked, that was the thing where you're saying, OK, this is a mental health issue. It has to be because the medication worked. Yeah, it, it was it was another uh, really strong notch of evidence that said, you're not making this up, right? And that yeah. was really one of the things that kept me from talking about it for a long time was, I thought I was making it up. I thought I was, you know, trying to, to weave this woe is me story. Um, that That's what I was telling myself. Um, and that's why depression and anxiety is, you know, it's so interesting and, and conniving because um, it's really an intelligent illness that, that can lie to you. And that's what it was doing. Um, and when I took this medicine and it helped, I said, oh, I'm not making this up. This is real. And that just really helped me to, to accept it and, and uh, to move forward with it. And, and I, I totally agree with you, right? I, I never looked at the medicine and I've never claimed that it's this silver bullet. Um, I think the therapy was actually maybe more helpful, uh, but I, I absolutely needed to, to be on this medicine to be able to do any of the things that we talked about in therapy or to even have the energy to make it to therapy. Yeah, it's. I think it's, I don't want to, again, oversimplify things today, but I think it should just be looked at as a tool. If I take a hammer and use it to hit someone in the head, that's a bad use of the tool. If I take the hammer and build a house with it, that seems like a reasonably intelligent use. And similarly, if I take the medication to save my life when I need it, that's cool. If I take it for three years straight, that particular one especially, well, the withdrawal alone could kill me at that point. That might not be the best use of the tool. So it's just a tool, guys. That That's all it is. We don't have to be overly scared of it. And most people, by the time they've gotten into our space, have been through so much Western medicine stuff anyway. that uh, That's why I always challenge them a little bit with that. I'm like, you really think the mental health medication, as, as not good as it is, is really the worst problem when like this person's been through chemo. This person's been on Synthroid for 15 years. Like right. we all do the stuff. We all go through it first before we get to these things. And I don't want to shorten too much of your story. So just uh, please know in the back of your head, there, there's really nothing wrong if we have to add five to 10 minutes um, to this podcast. But I don't want to, there's so much that happened after this between yes. 22 and 30 years old. So before we even talk about some of the stuff you've been doing recently, you got yourself to a good place and good place in mental health means stable, productive member of society, able to live a good life. You have a wife and a, and a kid now. This is, I mean, yeah. it's beautiful how stuff worked out. So after just this initial medication kind of being the life jacket, what was the freaking journey like after that? Because I imagine it was an interesting one. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, I, you know, I don't think I seemed different to 
you know, people on the outside, but I felt very different. And at first, um, I, at first I didn't like it, uh, because I, there was, there was a real fear, right? Um, the way that I explained it to, to my wife was, you know, if you went skiing and, uh, you wiped out and you broke both your legs, your arms and your back, you wouldn't even want to go near a mountain again. Right. Mm -hmm. And that's essentially what happened to me, except the mountain is life and you don't get to get off of it. Right. (laughs) So, um, there was just a lot of fear and I, I wanted to live, um, slowly is I think the best way to describe it. I, you know, I wanted, I wanted to work and I wanted to hang out with my friends, but I, I, I didn't lose. I, I, actively decided, Hey, this thing that I did like my whole life where I pushed myself like really, really, really hard. I'm going to just put that on a shelf for now. I'm not going to get rid of it forever, but I'm going to put it on a shelf for now. Cause I don't think it's appropriate for this time of healing. And, um, I just, you know, I worked on, on the therapy. I let the medicine work. Um, I had always been uh, spiritual, um, but I got into that a little bit more. Um, so I prayed a lot and um, I graduated college. I, I got a job. I started working and I was happy. Um, like you said, it was it was about stability and I was stable. I was happy. I was really, really enjoying myself. Um, and I felt like, you know what? I could live this, this sort of... Um, uh, uncomplicated middle-class life for the rest of my life. I'm, I'm really happy doing this. And, and I hope that this holds. Um, and what got me into sort of the mental health space some more, cause I had no plans to get into it. I, I wanted to run as far away as possible from it. Right. All I wanted to do was forget about what happened to me. Um, but there was, uh, in, in high school that I went to, uh, Holy ghost in Ben Salem, there was a junior who uh, committed suicide and his story was just the same as mine, uh, the same as yours, Evans, the same as so many, no signs, no symptoms, no, no real warnings, happy guy, good life. And it just seemed to everybody looking in like it was out of the blue. Mm -hmm. And so I asked if I could, you know, I reached out to the principal who, you know, it was, uh, not so long since I had been there that they still remembered me. And, you know, he said when I, when I um, came in and met him, he said he had to do a double take when he read the name in the email uh, because I emailed him and I said, look, this happened to me. And I'm the last person that anybody would have ever thought this would happen to. And let me just come in and talk to the kids and tell them that it doesn't have to be this way. Yeah. And it went really well. And I just thought, you know, maybe, Maybe I had to experience this so that I could tell other people about it. I don't, I don't, I don't know, right? Um, we don't always get to know the reasons or the purpose for why we go through things. But I thought this is as good a re- reason as any. And it's certainly a lot better than uh, becoming bitter and thinking that what I had to go through was pointless. Yep. Um, and that was something that I realized, you know, it was another thing that was kind of in the back of my mind where... I recognized that that was there. And if I didn't ascribe some sort of purpose to what I went through, that I could become resentful and bitter about it. And uh, that led me to the organization that Evan and I met at. And Mm -hmm. I went to um, schools and uh, parent 
meetings and, and uh, counselor conferences and just talked about my experience for, for a couple of years. And yeah. uh, it's really great to be able to do that. I, so much of this is so well worded, especially this part about because everyone that regardless of whether or not it's a mental health thing for them, everyone that becomes kind of like an FDN or any type of functional practitioner, man, you're, you're living a passionate life. This isn't something that you dreamt about at five years old to go do, but yet you find yourself doing it and it's the best work ever. And I I think there's a huge lesson there that everyone can take today. Again, even if you're just listening um, for the sake of interest or understanding, but maybe the mental health thing isn't actually as personal to you. This idea that you don't have to know why things happen, but you can create a purpose with it. That's how I approach it. You know, do I want to believe everything happens for a reason? Sure. But you and I share this, I know for a fact, where we would never speak in such an absolute. Like we can say everything happens for a reason, but we're also critical enough to be like, no, there's a chance that this is all completely random too. That that could be possible. I'm at least willing to humor that. But then the idea is, okay, regardless of whether or not I can guarantee it happened for a reason, what is actually a better application? of this experience. Do I become bitter, like you said, or do I use it to help other people? And man, when you get those first things of good feedback, I mean, it could be completely different for you in your job, depending on who you're, uh, you are listening right now. But as speakers, it's obvious. If someone comes up to you and says, Hey, I think this just saved my life today. I would go through what I went through a hundred times over again, just to do that one time. Because you, you can't buy that feeling. I've done drugs. Drugs don't do that. No. <laughs> um, you know, I've made some bad decisions in my life to change the chemicals in my brain. Nothing has helped with that. Money doesn't do it. Love, honestly, as much as I love my girlfriend, it doesn't even match that. It is something so deeply spiritual to know that there is purpose to your life right now on this earth in a major way. Uh, that That's special. And that's something that we can all apply as people in this space of functional medicine. You take those things that happen to you and you use it to help other people. That It's a whole different way of living. I'll just, I'll leave it at that. It's a whole different way of living. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm glad that you got into the speaking thing, man. I know that wasn't what you set out for originally. I'm I know that we aren't mentioning the organization itself, but how did you how did you get into that? I didn't realize that you spoke at your school voluntarily first. I just assumed that you were already a part of the organization. No, I spoke voluntarily at my school first, and uh, a counselor there used to be a counselor at a different school, and one of his students had joined the organization, so he knew about it. He gave me that contact info, nice. and yeah, and, and and it all just kind of worked out because as much as I was trying to escape thinking about the mental health stuff. Um, I also felt that I really needed to understand it to, to accept it and, and move on from it. And so I was reading a lot of books about uh, mental health. And I'm sure, you know, anybody listening to this podcast who's dealt with health issues has, has done something similar where, you know, you dive into, you know, sort of a, a deep info uh, gathering uh, moment of your life where you're really trying to understand what happened to you or what's happening to you. And a lot of the books that I read made me more depressed. Um, they just, they weren't that good. Uh, I didn't think that they really offered hope. Uh, they were heavy. Uh, they just kind of weighed on me. Um, and that's why, you know, as, as Evan mentioned uh, earlier, I, I wrote my book. It, I didn't really intend for it to do anything. It just kind of was therapeutic and, and, and a fun project. And I thought, you know, if, if anything, at least maybe it'll help my family understand what happened to me and maybe they can get some laughs along the way. Um, and then, uh, it, it, you know, it turned out to, to do a little bit more than that. Um, and, and I'd say, 
<laughs> yeah, yeah. And I'm very happy about that. So where can people um find that now? And then just remind us of the title again, please. And I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah. So people can find it on Amazon. Uh, it's My Perfect Life, How Depression Almost Ended It, and How I Found Purpose Through Pain. Um, and it just takes you through you know, my, my life from, uh, you know, high school to the breaking point and then the recovery afterwards and, and what that was like. And, and like I said, I I try to keep it as light as I can when talking about this stuff. Uh, I try to keep it a little bit humorous. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I, I think that that just makes it stick a little bit more, um, when it's not so weighty all the time. I I respect that. I have a, I feel like a different style, but you know, I think it matters as, as what I've learned with speaking, especially you got to be in your own style. Our friend Jordan, mm-hmm. I thought he was going to be like a Tony Robbins type speaker. And then I went and fanboyed one time and watched him out of college and he's as calm as can be up there, but it's so well crafted and so specific with how he says certain things. So yeah, whatever, whatever works for the person, because you're going to relate to someone in a way that I can't and vice versa. It's, it's beautiful. That's all that matters. Mm-hmm. Now I want to spend the last little bit here, of course, connecting this all together. It's like, we've been alluding to this the entire time, this idea of functional medicine helping to some degree. Now, again, guys, I can't stress enough. I asked Lucas to come on because a few of you, well, more than a few of you at this point have asked for clients to come on of people that work with FDNs, not just the FDN practitioners or functional medicine doctors themselves. So you have a client and you have a well-versed person that has tried many things, the therapies, the medications, all the stuff. And we did some very, in our world, at least in our world, kind of fundamentals, like basic stuff. Uh, Maddie, my girlfriend who was just on, actually worked with Lucas. And man, I was in the other room and I was listening to you talk to her and I'm like, get the out. Like, you know, I'm like, no way, no way. And I like open up the door and I'm totally eavesdropping on this. And I, I let him know I did this. So I, you know, I didn't want to be rude, but I was like, dude, this is amazing. So what was, what happened basically? What do we discover? What do we look at? And then how did it change the feelings for you pretty quickly? Yeah. So, um, a little bit of background on that. Uh, I had always, even though the medicine was super helpful, I had always wanted to get off of it. I just didn't want to have to take it. I tried getting off of it maybe four or five times in the last eight years and every time disaster. Um, and, you know, I looked into the withdrawal symptoms and how that could make you feel like you were depressed. And so I fought through that for more than four months and still just disaster. Um, and so the last time that I had tried to go off was this past uh, July. And the reason that I did that was uh, I wanted to, I just, I didn't want to rely on medicine because my wife was pregnant. We were going to have our first child and I just wanted to be fully there. And I convinced myself that I didn't need the medicine. It wasn't helping me, yada, yada, yada. I weaned myself off. I was off of it for about seven months. Everything was golden. And then in January, I started to kind of feel it a little bit and very quickly by the time i got to february i was just off a cliff all the way back to the way that it was when i was like 22 Hmm. and what really did it for me was uh you know my my daughter at this point was was born and i was watching my brother play with her and i just was i was thinking to myself i wasn't trying to think it this was very much like the suicidal ideation where the thoughts are just coming and you don't want them. And the thoughts that were coming into my head was, 
she'll be okay. She'll, she'll have a father figure. She'll be taken care of when I'm gone. And I just, I mean, I just went home after that and it was devastating, just absolutely devastating. And I was like, I got to do something about this. And Evan's been talking to me about this, this functional diagnostic stuff forever. And just what the hell am I waiting for, man? Like, I, I got to do this for, for my daughter and I want to be around for her life. And I, and I, I, you know, I don't want to feel this way. So I got in touch with, with Evan and Maddie. I, I took the food sensitivity test and, uh, you know, I got the results and <laughs> it's funny, man, because when Maddie called me with those results, I know it made no sense, but I was mad at her. She's telling me all the things that I can't eat and, you know, I was just mad at her. Like it was personally her fault <laughs> that I was sensitive to this stuff. I mean, it was mm. eggs. I ate eggs every day. Pork was on there. Uh, you know, no gluten. It's like my favorite thing to eat in the morning was a sausage, egg and cheese on a toasted everything bagel. Maddie right. was like, no more. Um, you know, so a lot of things that I ate all the time were on that food sensitivity test. And I, I just, you know, it took me like an hour. It, I got the results and I just went and I sat on the couch and my wife, Erica, was like, are you okay? And I was like, ah, I'm fine. Except I'll never be able to eat anything ever again. <laughs> and uh, she was laughing. And, um, you know, after I got done feeling sorry for myself, I looked at what I could eat, which is actually a ton of stuff, and um, formulated a plan. And I started eating those things. So, um, I, I have a fast metabolism. I was a high oxidizer. So a lot more proteins, fatty foods. Um, so I started eating that. I went on the essential amino acids that Evan recommended. Um, so I would take them every day, just, you know, dump them in some water and have them. And I started on the, the supplements that Evan and Maddie recommended for me. And I'm a skeptic. I, I 100% trusted Evan and Maddie. I had seen the results with them and with people that Evan had talked about. I just didn't think that it would work for me. So there's no placebo effect here. That's that's why I'm mentioning it. Yeah, that. definitely not with Lucas. I'll test to that. Yeah, <laughs> there was no placebo effect. Um, and within within about five days, I was like, man, I'm I'm starting to feel better, and it was noticeable. And within 10 days, I had felt better than I had since I was 15 years old before any of this had started. I mean, I had energy. I had hope. I, I could sleep. I could focus. I felt, I mean, I, I honestly felt like if I ran and spread my arms out that I was just going to take off and fly. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's how, how, excited I was. And and the thing that I didn't even really realize until I had done this was that before I had done this, all that time since I broke, there was always this underlying fear in the back of my mind that, that one day the depression was going to come back and the medicine wasn't going to be able to fix it. And it was going to win. I, I, there was one day the depression was going to come back and it was going to win. Mm -hmm. And 10 days into doing this diet, that fear was gone. 
And I think that's why I felt so light, so I, I, I'll say joyous because it wasn't as fleeting as happiness is I realized, okay, there is something that I can do. Um, there's more that I can do than just take this medicine. And it, it's, it's clearly real because here I am and I feel great. This is amazing, man. And um, for whatever it's worth to those listening, this is, we kind of started with a, a basic program that we run at our studio. So we're not even talking about, because this will make more sense to the audience. We're not even talking about gut testing. We're, we aren't talking about the hormones. We aren't talking about any of that stuff because there, there's, even though that's awesome, if you can do that, there's certain cases where the basics actually work really well because the person hasn't done anything like this yet. So if someone comes to me and they're like, all right, I've been eating organic for 10 years and I've been doing the gluten-free thing and this and that and the next, uh, which is a lot of the people that come to us, honestly, okay, yeah, there's no way you're getting away with this without running everything. But sometimes Lucas makes the best type of client because I'm like, all right, I don't really need you to do much for you to know that this is going to work to some degree. Uh, Those are profound results, but you're an exceptional client, but like by definition of exceptional in the sense that most people who end up with people like me or like any of our listeners, they've tried a lot of holistic stuff. And for you, this was kind of the first holistic thing that you really like, Hey, I'm going to dedicate to this and actually get some objective data to try. So uh, for me, that story as relatively short as it is, because these are new findings. This is, you know, we're talking a month or two here. That's worth the entire podcast because it just goes to show, I mean, this is a long freaking time, man. We're talking 16 to 30. This is 50% of the time you've been alive. And for a good chunk of that, roughly whatever, like 25% of that time, you've been actively working on it. You've been doing the stuff, the therapies, whatever. And this still had this profound of a effect that quickly. So is there going to be more work to do? Sure. Are there going to be bumps along the way, just like anything? Yes. I don't want to oversell this to anyone who's listening, but you never know what you're missing with this stuff. And I think the one thing I would say definitively is if you are a person like myself, like Lucas, or unfortunately like that young man who took his own life uh, at your school, who has a overall good life and you feel like hell and you don't know why, we live in a cause and effect world. There is some cause, you just don't know the cause yet. And there's usually only two main causes of mental health stuff. You either went through the ringer or there's something going on biochemically hormonally, whatever, something in the body. And it just so happens that our system and many other functional practitioners out there are equipped to look at that stuff and figure out what's going on. And so why this is something that I'm super passionate about is because you would have, I I think you would have stuck through, especially with your daughter, because I I can tell how much you care about her and, and love her. So I can't actually imagine you not being here, even if those thoughts were present. But Lucas, I can't help but sit here and wonder and or think about how lucky I've gotten that I didn't die when I'm driving around blacked out on drugs in a car at 17. How many people are dying from this but don't know that 10 days worth of dietary changes could give them enough hope to get through this? That's where the passion for me comes from. It's one thing to suffer with a health issue. It's another thing to know that we are losing people's lives because of this. Right. And at the end of the day, I mean – it's a pretty small sacrifice that I think most people would make in a heartbeat if they knew. I mean, I, now I'm at the point where I, I don't even really miss the eggs that much because I so much look forward to my ground beef and potatoes. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, and I don't mean to make light of it. I'm just saying like, it is, 
it's it's small in the grand scheme of things and what you get for such a small small sacrifice it's a very small price to pay for a very very large reward and i do wish that more people knew about it because i i absolutely believe that it would save lives yeah well i i just i thank you for coming on today guys he's not here to push his book i'm the one who actually kind of pulled it out of him i'm like dude like make sure we we talk about this um and lucas doesn't even actively speak anymore he's a he's a chemical engineer like he said like he's he's working somewhere else this guy just came on just to let people know uh because you know if you touch one person and we we have a big audience so there's gonna be someone that clicks on this that maybe they already knew about this stuff but they share it with someone like their son or whatever that wants to listen to two young guys talk about this in a vulnerable way and then show them hey look at what this can do and a lot of the food stuff perhaps you and maddie haven't even talked about this yet the good news man is very little of this is permanent i mean the wheat thing i've stuck away from that as long as i can remember that's been six seven years but almost everything else sensitivity wise that i had an issue with like even dairy i ate a ton of dairy today i just reintroduced that i finally gave it a try like three months ago and it's been going great i actually feel better because i'm getting so much more protein now because mm-hmm. dairy is obviously abundant in that uh, generally speaking not ice cream but like other things that are dairy oriented <laughs> oh, hey, hey, hey. ice cream ice cream's out. good <laughs> right right and so it, it can all work out things can get better and you, you hit the nail on the head we're there's an illusion that happens at first because when we feel like crap, the foods that we're giving up, people don't want to acknowledge this, but it might be the only source of damn dopamine that we have in our freaking lives at that point. You know, it's like that's our source of happiness. So when we have to strip some of that away, there's this, oh man, there's this nasty little curve where it's like, all right, now I lost this and I don't feel that great. But when you start walking around, and like for me, at 18, seven different diagnosed conditions, and now I feel happy. I have more energy than anyone, like to the point that it annoys the crap out of people. <laughs> I'm able to work like hell. I love my life and love what I do. I'm not thinking about the foods that I gave up. I'm like, who the hell cares? Like this is – I got the best gift from this on the other side because there's there's a – and you would have had this regardless of the – the food stuff, but there's an appreciation to life that comes that I don't think many people have when you know what it is like to want to take your own life and you have even a few days where that doesn't exist. You operate in life a lot differently and there's a genuine gratitude that I I hope everyone gets to experience without having to go through that kind of stuff. But that's real, man. When you know, it's like, damn, I've not wanted to be here. And I wake up today. I'm like, yeah, no, pretty happy to be here. That's that's cool. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It really it helps keep things in, in perspective. Um, it really does. There's a joy to that. That's, that's hard to describe. Um, and I, the same as you, I really hope that people can experience that without having to experience the, the, you know, sort of terrible things that, that we did and, and that people do to, to get that, that feeling. Um, but yeah, I, you know, definitely, you know, if they're, if, if you're listening to this and, and you know, anyone who's skeptical, uh, right. As Evan vouched, I was a skeptic. Um, it's just just my nature. Uh, if you know anyone that feels like healing is beyond them, I have felt that way many times and I keep finding another way. Um, and if you know someone that thinks that they just have to push themselves through a brick wall and there's no other way to do it. Um, you know, I, I, I mentioned earlier that I wanted to live kind of a slow life uh, and I put that um, sort of pushing myself on a shelf. The pushing myself has come off the shelf, right? I, I think I push myself pretty hard. I work pretty hard. Um, I, I love my life. I, I love being there for my family. And uh, if you need hope, I, I hope that this conversation gives you some. I, I really, truly do. 
Thank you so much, man. I appreciate you coming on today. Yeah, thank you for having me. 